Good evening, family. It's just absolutely gorgeous, this place called North Carolina. And I just assumed that the weather was like this all the time. Just amazing. Open the windows in the morning, and it's just gorgeous. And I thank the Lord for the way He has uh, given us this beautiful environment and this beautiful weather so that we could enjoy being together here. I want to draw your attention to a couple things before I start. The first thing is I would like to ask you whether or not you received these two things when you walked in this, mo- this evening. Did you get these? Well, I hope you got them. If you did not receive them, raise your hand. The ushers are ready to, to hand them out to you. See a few hands. We want to make sure that this is in your hand. There are two things here. First of all is a simple card that basically is an invitation for you to pray for China. You're going to hear about China tonight. You heard about it last night. You're going to hear about it tomorrow. But I want you to leave here. We want you to leave here having something in hand that you can do for China. And that is to pray for China. And I believe that you will agree with me that prayer is powerful. When things take place in China, my wife and I, my wife will often say, Bob, I wonder if who was praying at this time to open the door for the work to go into this area or protect these workers. We believe that God works through prayer. And so on this little card, you will find some some facts about the work in China, about the challenges that we have in China. And there's also an email address at the bottom. And this is the key. At the bottom there, you will have an email address. If you want to pray specifically for one of the unentered cities in China, just write us an email and say, I want to pray for China. Give me a city. And our Adventist Missions Department, which my wife is the director, she will send you a city, Google Maps, satellite view. She will tell you what to pray for in that city, what the areas that you need to pray for. And we just want an army of believers in, to lift up China in prayer. You heard that there are 1.3 billion people in China. That is actually not true. There are 1.4 billion people in China. One out of six people pretty much in the world live in this territory, and we need your prayers. So take just a minute, not while I'm preaching, though, afterwards tonight when you go home on your computer, and just send a quick email. Say, I want to pray for a church. I mean, I want to pray for a city in China so that God can send pioneer teams to church plant there. So that's the first thing I want to draw your attention to. The second thing is we also handed out an envelope. And I want to thank the Carolina Conference for being willing to let us do this. We need funds to send Chinese teams of two to these unentered cities. And if you're interested in helping us fund church planting teams... 100% of the money that you send through the General Conference Adventist Mission Department, and this tells you all about it it here, they're kind enough to let us use uh, the General Conference so that you get a tax-deductible donation. You can set up a once-time gift or a monthly gift or whatever. All of those monies, every single cent, will go to fund church planters in China. And if you would like to take that and fill it out, And then as you leave today, the ushers will have some uh, offering buckets for you, and you can return those as you leave here today. And maybe you want to mail it in later. That is fine as well. 
I promised you last night after teaching you extensively the most very important word in Chinese. What was it? <laughs> no, I know you're thankful that I did that, but what word did I teach you? Amen. I know you're happy that I taught you how to say something, but what word did I teach you? I, I know, I'm just kidding. I taught you how to say amen in Chinese, which is amen. But tonight I'm going to push it up a little bit. I would like to teach you how to say happy Sabbath in Chinese. Don't you want to know that? And the way you say it is this. I put it right up here. An si tian kuai le. Now I've made it as much of an English translation as possible. Say it after me. An si tian kuai le. Now that's how you say it. An si tian kuai le. Yeah, we really need to work on this. An shi tian kuai le. An shi tian kuai le. Exactly. And what that means literally is an shi tian. That's the word for Sabbath. And it literally means day of peace. And then kuai le is happy. Kuai le. Nimen kuai le ma. Are you happy tonight? You say, shi da. Shi da. Wamen kuai le. Now, I got to tell you, you have to be careful with Chinese. You know why? Because it's a tonal language. And let me give you an example. With Chinese, the way you say mother is mama, mama. It's pretty it's familiar, isn't it? But you can also say ma different things. You can say ma, 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 ma. Those are five different words. Depending on the tone, the first tone is ma, that's mother. Ma means numb, like when your arm falls asleep. Ma means horse. Ma means to scold. And ma means question. <laughs> so if you're not careful, you could call your mother a horse. So you can understand why when I began to learn Chinese and my wife and I were struggling with, we were worried what we were saying, many times I've been preaching in Chinese and people start laughing at the, at the wrong time, if you know what I mean. And I have to stop the sermon and I say, okay, what did I say? Oh, they told me you said this and that, and then I laugh and we continue on. But one of my teachers said, don't worry about those tones. Just do your best. The Chinese appreciate that you are trying. So with this here, you have to be careful with the tones. So you see it up here, an shi tian kuai le, but you got to make sure it's an shi tian kuai le. Okay, let's try that again. An shi tian kuai le. Happy Sabbath to each one of you too. It has been a joy for Audrey and I to be called to serve amongst the Chinese. We've spent now two, ter- two different periods of time adding up to 15 years there. And tomorrow night, as people have come through the booth, we've talked about different things about the church, and there are many questions. And tomorrow night, I've talked to the media team. Tomorrow night, right at the beginning of my presentation, I'm going to spend 10 or 15 minutes not through live feed because of the sensitivity of the situation, but we're going to talk a little more openly about the work in China tomorrow night off air and I uh, invite you to come and we'll share a little bit more about what is happening in China tomorrow evening. But I'd like to talk a little bit tonight about the Blessed Hope. But before we go any farther, let's again invite the Spirit of the living God to be amongst us tonight. Let's pray together. Father in heaven,
we pause here before we open your word to invite you to please be amongst us. Lord, send your Holy Spirit to fill our hearts. I pray that we will set aside whatever challenge or stress we have brought with us into this place and that you will help us see only Jesus to know more about our Savior and to leave this place encouraged no better yet thrilled with the truth of the blessed hope we have in Jesus Christ we pray this in your name Amen. Jacob Berry was born in 1809 in the province of Quebec, Canada. In the 1830s, he began to read very interesting literature coming out from various publications, but they all seemed to have the same author, and his name was William Miller. Miller was convinced, he read, that Jesus was soon to return based on his study of the prophecies of Daniel and Revelation. He believed that Christ was to return in 1843. Follow me. Yes, 1843. He was certain of it. And as Jacob Berry read these articles, he too became convicted of the truth that they, he and his family and we together at that time were living in the time of the end. Later on, after more Bible study, he recognized, as did William Miller, that 1843 was not the correct date. It was actually 1844. And then finally, as the date appeared, got closer, the date of October 22 was singled out as the day of Christ's return. Jacob was excited. He and his family firmly accepted this Millerite doctrine, this coming, the second coming of Christ in fact, one night he had a dream recorded in his diary. He had a dream in which he was walking down a country lane and he came upon a house. And in front of that house sat an old man in a chair with a Bible open on his lap. Jacob was convinced that this old man was William Miller and that God was telling him to go visit William Miller. And so he did just that. He left Quebec and walked about 500 kilometers walking and different transportation methods until he came to Hampton, New York to visit with Pastor Brother Miller. And as he recounts it in his diary, sure enough, as he walked up to the house, the same house he had seen in his dream, in front of the house sat William Miller in a rocking chair with a Bible on his lap. And he recalls spending two or three wonderful days deep in Bible study all about Jesus and all about the soon coming of his Savior and friend. He returned to Quebec full of zeal and he did not, did not harvest his crops, but he waited as so many others did for the coming of Jesus on October 22. But as so many others experienced he also went through that terrible time of disappointment when on October 23, as the sun came up, Jesus was nowhere to be seen. He was in the depths of despair, as they say. He wrote in his diary that he went to his knees in the 
confinement of his room, and he said, Lord, show me a text that will help me through this terrible, dark, difficult time. And he took his Bible, and not the best, by the way, Bible study method, but this is what he did. He just let it open up and saying, Lord, speak to me. And it opened, he wrote, to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 37, for yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Can you say amen? He was encouraged. Soon after the great disappointment and sad day, maybe because of the pressures from the community, he sold his property and moved his family across the border to the United States, to the state of Illinois, to the little town of Silver Creek, Illinois. He joined what became known as this group of Adventists, Believers, most of which were trying to make sense of what happened there in the 1844 movement. One day, he says, a couple came knocking on his door, asking if they could rent his big, brand-new barn to hold some meetings for discouraged Adventists. And he said, I am one of those discouraged Adventists, and you are very welcome to use my barn. The preachers were none other than James and Ellen White. And all the Adventists that were in that section of Illinois came together in his barn to study about the coming of Christ and the Advent movement and and what really happened in the sanctuary message. And and it was a tremendous time for for this Barry family. In the diary of Jacob Barry, the story is told that on opening night, there were so many discouraged Adventists in this barn that James stood up and and saw the barn door open and saw Benjamin, which was, by the way, Jacob Berry's son, standing at the door. And he jokingly said to Benjamin, Ben, jam in. Get it? Benjamin, get it? Ben, jam in. Okay, if you didn't get it, maybe tonight you'll get it. James White had a sense of humor. So many people in there, he's like, Benjamin. And you know what? That entire family, the Barry family, renewed their faith in a soon-coming Jesus and went from being Adventist, discouraged, puzzled, to being Seventh-day Adventist, anticipating the soon-coming of Christ and participants in preaching the three angels' message. Isn't that a neat story? Now, I know that story very well because Jacob Berry is my wife's great, 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 great grandfather. And we know it because we have his diary and we've had the stories through the generations. But I'm here to tell you tonight, Jacob Berry died in 1883. He's buried. I've gone on and Googled and I can see his tombstone. Jacob Berry, 1883. Jesus had not returned. Question, do you, do you believe that Jacob Berry had this hope in his heart that Jesus would return in his lifetime? I believe that. But now we're standing here many generations later with many other Adventist believers and Adventist workers and Adventist preachers and my wife's family and my family that all are sleeping now with the great hope, but yet Jesus has not come back. 
And I must ask you tonight, as we sit here and talk about home fixer, home, being homesick for heaven, how homesick are we? I rarely even hear the words anymore in our church, finishing the work. I rarely hear that anymore. Do we believe that Christ can come in our lifetime? Only a handful of you said amen. Let me ask that again. Do you believe that Christ could come in our lifetime? I believe that with all my heart or I wouldn't be standing here. I believe that. Jesus is coming soon and the Adventist movement continues. But the question we must ask tonight is, are we really still Seventh-day Adventists or simply Sabbatarian Christians? Has the allure and pull of this world dimmed our passion for the world to come? Are we still waiting and looking for the day of the coming of Christ? Is this still our blessed hope? Titus chapter 2 verse 11 tells us clearly that for Christians this should be the blessed hope. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. What grace is that, brothers and sisters? What is being referred to here? The grace of God that appeared to all men is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the person of Jesus Christ. Amen? Teaching us. What does Jesus teach us? Teaching us that we should deny ungodliness and worldly lusts. We should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is our hope. Amen? It should be the focus of our people. We are not just Seventh-day Adventists. We are Seventh-day Adventists still, are we not? I hear lots of emphasis on the Sabbath and I hear lots of Bible studies on the Sabbath, and I think it's wonderful because I love Anshizhe. <clears throat> Excuse me, I love the Sabbath. But I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, you can have the Sabbath. I want to see Jesus and worship Him on Sabbath face to face. That's why, who we are. This is our great hope. Now, if you don't mind, I want to take a brief... Uh, uh, a brief detour here because as we wait, what is it that God is calling His Seventh-day Adventist Remnant Church to do? I would like to take you to a, Bible, a quotation from Sister White. But first, I want to take you to the beginning of the Adventist movement. You thought it started in 1844 or maybe with the Adventist uh, movement with Miller in the late 1830s. No, look at what it says in Acts chapter 1, verse 9 through 11. Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, talking about the disciples, he, Jesus, was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly into heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood there beside them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. The same Jesus that went up will come back again. I would like to suggest to you that Christians have always been Adventists. Followers of Christ have always been Adventists. 
from the beginning, the Christian perspective has always had our chin up looking for the coming of Christ, not our chin down looking at the things of this world. Do you agree with me? The tragedy is often that, as one pastor says, we live in a world that treats fairy tales as reality, and reality as fairy tales. And little by little, this idea of a heaven, this idea of a second coming of Christ has become just that, an idea rather than a burning hope in our heart. The things of God are often relegated to the back room, maybe even relegated and thrown out the window. And in the process, the coming of our King becomes something we lose sight of and we forget about. I would like to challenge you tonight that as we wait for His coming, God has called us to embrace the blessed hope every moment of every day. And it should compel us, it should energize us to proclaim the three angels' message, which is in the mission of this end-time church. It should give us the impetus to move forward. Since the beginning of the Christian church, we have been an Adventist movement. And now more than ever, we are called to proclaim the second coming of Christ and His soon coming. We are called to preach the three angels' message of Christ, which let me just summarize to you. Sometimes I talk to people and I say, what are the three angels' message? They have no clue. How can we have no clue about this central part of what we are and who we are and what our mission is? The first angel's message is the everlasting gospel to be preached to the whole world, including China. And it's preached in the context of the final judgment that is going on right now. If you agree with me, say amen. Amen. The second angel's message is simply put, a call to full surrender to Christ. It's a call to full surrender, to get out of Babylon, get out of confusion, get out of half Christianity into full loving and daily relationship with Jesus Christ. And the third angel's message is a call to love God so much that we keep all of His commandments, not just nine of them, including the Sabbath, preparing for the final, the final movements that will take place on this earth. This is what we're called to proclaim. We have a compelling vision of what we are and what we should be doing as we wait and hasten the coming of Jesus. It is a picture of a Seventh-day Adventist people that is fully and completely consumed with Christ and His cause. When I was in the Upper Columbia Conference, we voted this statement from Ellen White as our vision statement. Let me share it with you tonight because it's what we should be about, what the future is for our church. In the ninth volume of the Testimonies, page 126, she says... In visions of the night, representations passed before me of a great reformatory movement among God's people. Many were praising God. The sick were healed and other miracles were wrought. A spirit of intercession was seen, even as was manifest before the great day of Pentecost. And look at this. Hundreds and thousands were seen visiting families and opening before them the Word of God. She goes on to say, hearts were convicted by the power of the Holy Spirit and a spirit, are you with me? A spirit of what? Genuine conversion was manifested. You see, 
She goes on to say, on every side doors were thrown open to the proclamation of the truth and the world seemed to be lighted with the heavenly influences. Great blessings were received by the true and humble people of God. Isn't that wonderful? This is our future and we need to live it now. Amen? As Adventists, we have a mission. We have a clear mandate. Two paragraphs after this quotation in the ninth volume of the Testimonies, she goes on to say this. The judgments of God are in the earth and under the influence of the Holy Spirit, we must give the message of warning that He has entrusted to us. We must give this message quickly, line upon line, precept upon precept. Men will soon be forced to great decisions, and it is our duty to see that they are given an opportunity to understand the truth, that they may take their stand intelligently on the right side. The Lord calls upon His people here in the Carolina Conference. I've added that myself. The Lord calls upon His people to labor, labor earnestly and wisely while probation lingers. Do you agree with this? You see, what I'm trying to say here at the beginning is we have this blessed hope and we embrace it. But I have this hope not so that I can hide it in my heart and just kind of keep it a secret. I have this hope that should impel me to share Jesus with my neighbor, my coworker, with my family. Amen? It should compel us. compels me to work in China so that when I get to, chi- to heaven, there'll be a bigger Chinatown there. It should compel you and you and you because Jesus is coming soon. Time is short and we are to earn- labor earnestly, she says. Okay, I'm kind of coming back from my little detour here, but it's important. The second coming is foundational to who we are as a people. It's in our name, Seventh-day Adventist. But the second coming should never become a dusty theological doctrine. It is a hopeful personal reunion that we will have with our beloved friend, Jesus Christ. Let's take a look at this Bible verse. My favorite in Scripture, probably yours too. John 14, 1 to 3. I love the way Jesus spoke of the blessed hope to his disciples who could read in his face, who could read in his demeanor that something was happening. Something was going to go very wrong here in the next few hours. They were feeling anxious. They did not know what to make of what was happening. And so Jesus looked them in the eyes. I can imagine that he put an arm around one of them and said... Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Tonight, my dear brother and sister, are you troubled? We live in a world full of tribulations and trials. Maybe you came here tonight uncertain of your job next week, uncertain of your finances. You're not certain about what's happening with your children or your grandchildren. Maybe your marriage is under tremendous stress. Jesus says to you tonight as you wait for his coming, do not let your heart be troubled. Amen? 
He says, do not let it. You believe in God? Believe also in me, Jesus tells us tonight. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. He says, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. You know, it's nice to think about this text. And it's nice to know that God, and uh, they're preparing mansions for us in heaven. And that's a nice thought, streets of gold, a mansion prepared for us. But that is not what motivates us. In fact, may I suggest to you that if the second coming of Christ is only a doctrine that you check off and you know a few key texts to, then this verse right here should set it straight for you. Because if we need to understand just theologically that there is a second coming and that Jesus is preparing a heaven for us, he could have stopped by saying, and I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. He could have just stopped right there. That would have been the end. But that is not where the text stops because Jesus leaves the best until last. He says that where I am, what? There you may be also. Brothers and sisters, that is why I am an Adventist. He wants to be with us. Why is the second coming important to us? Well, first when Jesus comes, death will die. Amen? Life will triumph. We will have eternal life forever with Jesus Christ. That's wonderful. What a wonderful day that will be when the last funeral has been conducted and all we have now into eternity is joyful reunions. Amen? Missing this event just for this one, one, one reason would be a tragedy that you could meet your loved one again and your friend again and your spouse again. And I get to meet, and Audrey, my wife, gets to meet Jacob Berry for the first time. And just say, tell me again what happened here. I mean, this is a fascinating story. Hear it from him. That Bible study with Brother Miller. Second reason that the second coming is important is that when Jesus comes, suffering will end. It's done. That back pain, that knee pain, that headache is gone because sin will be conquered forever. Can I hear an amen? amen. We've got to remind ourselves of these things. The older I get, the creakier I get, and the more thankful I am for the second coming of Jesus. The third reason that the second coming of Jesus is good news for us tonight, is that on the day of His coming, we will see our loved ones who have also died in Christ. Not only will death die, there will be no more death, but we will then be reunited with those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. What a wonderful da day that will be for me to finally get a chance to put my arms around my dad again. And my grandpa and so many others. But I would like to suggest to you tonight that the main reason that I love the second coming and, the, and heaven is this. It is the day that I will see my Jesus face to face. All the preaching, all the evangelistic meetings, 
all the Bible memorization, all the text, everything, it's all leading up to that day when we will see him face to face. That's why I'm an Adventist. It's because I want to see Jesus. That's why I'm an Adventist, because I want to be in his presence and worship him. I love the way that Paul builds on what Jesus said in John 14, when in 1 Thessalonians 14, 13 to 17, he says, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. I know you know this text. You've heard it preached, because we use this text primarily to educate and to teach and the doctrine of the state of the dead, right? Are you with me? But we also bring it up when we talk about the second coming, that Jesus will come, those who died in Christ will rise again. And for this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of an archangel and with the trump of who? trump of God and the dead in Christ will rise first then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air stop please stop don't look at the rest of this see Paul could have stopped right there the doctrine is clear when Jesus comes the dead are resurrected when Jesus comes we who are alive and are believers in Christ are caught up to meet them in the air and the dead in Christ and now resurrected and the living in Christ are caught up and we meet Christ in the clouds and then we travel through the universe and we go to heaven and this is just part of that doctrine it's wonderful amen Amen. but that's not the heart of Paul's message because remember Paul is trying to remind us of Jesus because he finishes here after this meeting the Lord in the air he says and thus we shall always be with the Lord Just like Jesus says, and where I am, there you may be also. Paul says, and thus you shall always be with the Lord. You know, I don't use the word thus anymore. And thus, I traveled this afternoon to, what does he mean by thus? He means, I want you to get this straight. When this happens, we get to be with Jesus. doctrine of the second coming should not be a merely a bunch of text streamed together our hope the blessed hope is centered on a person it's centered on your savior it's centered on the person that loved you so much that he gave his life for you It's centered on you getting to see face to face. Finally, the one you have leaned on day by day through your journey on this earth. Amen? It's all about Jesus. The blessed hope is not just a name Adventist. It is all about being with Jesus. And thus, we shall always be with the Lord, says Paul to us tonight. You know, I'm a very visual person. And I imagine to myself, we're here, we're up in heaven, and there are lots of people, okay, many people. How are we all going to get a chance to see Jesus? I mean, have you thought about this, or is it just me? I've thought about this. I mean, there are going to be many, many people. The book of Revelation says it's just, you know, countless people. How are we going to do this? We all want to see Jesus face to face, right? 
Now, I know when we come to worship from Sabbath to Sabbath, we will see Jesus there, we will worship him, but I'm talking about seeing him face to face. How is this going to happen? Now, I can tell you right now, coming from Asia, hmm, hmm, I despise queuing and getting in line for anything. Because in China, when you get in a line, it's two miles long. Because, I'm just joking, of course, but it's long because there are so many people. In fact, my wife and I always are amazed when we come to the United States. It's like, where are the people? There just aren't people. You know, in China, it's just people everywhere. And so when you get in line in a bus or for the, for the, for the subway, when we travel back and forth to work, uh, for six years, it was about a two-and-a-half-hour commute every day. We had to go, and we were on this subway, and you just get packed in. I hate lines. But I'm here to tell you that I think the only way I can figure out in my visual mind is when we get to heaven, we're going to get in a very long line. Now, follow me here. I have a reason for this. Because I think that all of us who are there are going to be so excited about sharing our testimony that this is going to be one long testimony meeting. Can I hear an amen? amen? We're going to be in line, and you know what? Nobody's going to be looking at their watch. Nobody's going to be worrying about a missed appointment. Everybody is going to be happy, amen? <clears throat> and as lines here in, the, in, in, in this world, nobody's happy. But there, we're going to be happy. We have eternity. We're in line. And as we look around, we will see Adam because he will stand up. And we'll say, hey, Adam, tell us. And we'll all listen. We'll see David, like I talked about last night. We'll see Jonathan. We'll hear their stories. And I am telling you right now, brothers and sisters, time will fly. This is how I picture it. It will be a great, a great time of testimony speaking about this Jesus we're getting ready to meet. But then I can imagine that it finally comes to my turn. I get to the front of the line, and there across from me, maybe a space like from me to those stairs, there's empty, there's nobody there, and there stands my Jesus. And on each side are two big angels. I always imagine them being, you know, the big angels. And I look at Jesus, and I see him lean over and talk to Gabriel a minute. And I do not believe this will happen, but do you think it will happen? He leans over to Gabriel and says, now this guy's name, it's kind of a long name, I forget it. What's his name? Folk, what is it now? Do you think that's going to happen? Brothers and sisters, he will not need that because he has written my name on his hand. And I will walk across that and I will fall on his feet and worship him and I will hug him and I will brothers and sisters that's why I'm an Adventist it's because of Jesus he will say to me Bob welcome home and I will embrace him and I will worship him. And that is why I'm an Adventist. I'm not an Adventist because of 28 doctrines, which are wonderful. I'm an Adventist because every one of those doctrines talks about my Jesus. And I'm an Adventist because I know Jesus is coming soon, and I want to embrace him. What about you tonight? Are you an Adventist in name only? 
Or does the blessed hope burn within you? Is your love of Jesus and your desire to wrap your arms around you influence every decision you make in life so that your citizenship while you are here is still in heaven? When you wake up in the morning, are you thinking of Jesus? When you go to the store, are you thinking of Jesus? When you go to work, are you thinking of Jesus? Brothers and sisters, what it means to be an Adventist is to walk and to live and to breathe Jesus in that reunion day when we see him face to face. May the blessed hope transform our lives so that every second, every breath we take, we do for the honor and glory of our friend and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, tonight we've been looking at at great news of your soon coming. Jesus, we long to see you. This world is so difficult. We still see the brushstrokes of grace and love around us, but we also are faced daily, it seems, with suffering and pain and conflict, death. Like John, I just say, please come quickly, dear Jesus, please. But while we wait, you have given us a clear mission as a remnant church. You have given us a clear vision of Jesus, our Lord, so that everything that we do will be filtered through our great and abiding hope and desire to be in your arms one day soon. So please pour your Holy Spirit on this congregation. May the things of this world grow strangely dim to each one of them. And may we cast our eyes clearly, daily, moment by moment on Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith. And we ask this in His name. Amen.